Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. I am joined by Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Good morning, Robert. Good day, everyone. So, uh, we are heading full steam into fall. It may not feel like it. It's uh, I'm sitting across from Robert here. He bikes every day, and he's got a full good sweat going because it's uh, 85 degrees. Uh, so a beautiful, beautiful week here in Wisconsin. But we've got to get to our political news, which is not always as good. But uh, preview of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the health care bill that uh, Robert has in the past called the zombie bill. It appears to be back. Uh, and we need to discuss that, and we need you to get active on it. Uh, so we'll talk a lot about health care. We're also going to have uh, Representative Gordon Hintz join us. Uh, Gordon Hintz was elected the new minority leader in the Assembly. We will be talking to Gordon about that and his vision for the future. Uh, we will also be speaking with two of our organizers for our organizing cooperative from uh, Western Wisconsin, Jeff Smith, and Joel Lewis from the Wausau Central Wisconsin area. But with that, Robert, we got to talk health care. Um, last week, we were talking about Medicare for All and talking about how important it was to really lay down what you might want to call the gold standard for where we ought to be looking to go in the near future and how we can start actually expanding access to health care. But unfortunately, the Republicans have a very different vision, and that would be constricting and restricting access, repealing. And so we've got this ridiculous zombie health care bill that's coming back. It seems like this one is possibly even worse, but the most ridiculous thing is for democracy, what this this is ridiculous. Why would we be doing, uh, you know, obviously rushing bills like this through? If it was bad last time, why is this going to work? How 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 do the Republicans think this is going to work? Depends what you mean. Working means, Matt. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So how about it, you define working? It's and not let us know. meant to work. I think it's extremely helpful. Uh, that Bernie Sanders, Tammy Baldwin, and other senators have put up, put forward a gold standard. It puts us in a better position to compare that uh, to all the alternatives that the conservative majority keeps coming up with, and it puts us in a better position than Foxconn, where the Democratic majorities did not have a serious alternative as far as a big jobs investment. So as far as the plan itself, it shows incredible cynicism. It shows that uh, the Senate and... Uh, and the House and President Trump have no regard for lawmaking whatsoever. It, it shreds a whole lot of uh, Senate procedures. So a lot of people who are watchers of the Senate are, are stunned on that. Uh, but yeah, I think it was best explained by Charles Grassley. We shouldn't actually be carried away the details. We'll talk about them. But all you need to know is it's much worse than the previous bills that were so bad that uh, only 70% of the public supported them. Okay, And they're trying to do it so quickly because they simply want to get a win on the board. When Charles Grassley, and remember, the senator from Iowa right next door to us was someone who was working on the ACA with Max Baucus, and then Tea Party Rebellion started against him, so the right generated a fear of a primary opponent, and then he reversed himself and started talking about death panels. That Charles Grassley, right, even though he knew they were lies, okay, <laughs> said 
there was no really good policy reason. He wasn't going to really talk, even talk about a policy reason. This is what he told a reporter yesterday. He said, we promised we'd do away with the ACA, and we just have to do it regardless of the policy. I mean, that's a, it, it, it wasn't exact words, but that's, uh, that's, that's very close to what Senator well, Grassley I mean, had to say. I mean, I, th that's actually the answer, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the only reason you would do this, and I believe it is because they've got a deadline, right, with, uh, they with the way— They can't do it with only 50 votes plus Vice President Pence after September. Yeah, so they're— they're already sort of anti-democratic, go around the filibuster, actually also apparently has a deadline that they seem to all of a sudden just figure out, which is interesting. No, no, but they, I think they're, they've been playing possum <laughs> yeah, a little while. Okay, I think they've excellent. known a little while. But it's so bad, Matt. It's so bad that not only does it make the other slashing cuts the previous ones did, um, it creates a temporary block grant which is very cynical, which then goes away in 2027. So in other words, it literally eventually eliminates all the subsidies to make health care affordable, just for example. And it makes the same draconian cuts to Medicaid, so it goes way beyond the ACA. The main advantage politically seems to be that there were some Republican governors who were against the earlier versions because it would have put them in a budget squeeze because they would have been in a situation where they had to make dramatic Medicaid cuts. This pushes that forward enough so they don't think they'll be governors anymore and gives them a block grant that they can, starting in 2020, that they can raid for other purposes. So Governor Walker could... I don't know, cut Medicaid even more and build the roads he wants to build, just for example. And so there are still a number of Republican governors opposing, but apparently the hope is, is that some of the red state, uh, more conservative Republican governors who did ever took Medicaid expansion will be on board, and that will help the politics of getting it through the Senate. Yeah, I, so the, the big problem therein is the optics of this are horrendous. I mean... The, for example, I think a lot of our uh, listeners have probably seen the Jimmy Kimmel episode, right? And that is going viral again. And Jimmy was involved in the first sort of smackdown of, of one of the zombie bills. But this is really, really awful in terms of how one would go about one-fifth of the economy and in terms of restructuring and what's at stake. I mean, Robert, you very appropriately at the beginning said, let's not get into the gory details. But suffice to say, this is easily as bad, and if not worse, right, than, than the previous ones. So if you have... Republican senators, particularly the moderate ones, I'm trying to remember all the names of the folks who voted against it the first time, who really did that, a lot of it was not only policy, but also still about the process. How can it they be for this? Susan Collins, Collins. Uh, who, who is still against, yep. Lisa Murkowski, who is unassessed from Alaska, McCain, who is unassessed adamantly and refuses to answer questions. Paul now says he's against, but no one wants to rely upon Rand Paul not flipping back or even being. Well, see, I would consider him, him to be the wild card, although he cannot like this process, right? I mean, well, we can't just can't rely on that. We can't <laughs> I, rely I, on McCain. Well, we either. can't rely necessarily on yeah. any of these folks, but it just seems like they would have a very difficult time explaining, you know the switch certainly not with the republican base well they're but... trying to cynically lie about it and that's what jimmy kimmel has been great about because right. cassidy uh the second author of the bill it's lindsey graham and uh and and senator cassidy from louisiana and sometimes people mention ron johnson as the third sponsor sometimes they don't he's the sort of like uh the invisible sponsor well he's kind of like 
in the in the old racist uh, version of um, of the Lone Ranger, he's Tonto, right? But he's a he's a he's a white millionaire Tonto. But anyway, um, so they're saying, for example, that won't harm anyone. And that it and that's great. And Cassidy promised that to Kimmel. So Kimmel's now calling him a liar. So President Trump, which is bizarre, since we have a reality show president now, responds and defends Senator Cassidy against a, the, the host of a variety and comedy show, Jimmy Kimmel. So that's our modern politics, right? Well, it is. But what's why it in some ways why it's okay that it's the modern politics of, and we're going to put a link, obviously, to Jimmy Kimmel's monologue. I'll put that on there. It's, a, it's, it's actually a really good mix of facts and calling them out on sort of the core lies that they've been running around, saying that they were going to expand access, right? You've talked about this, Robert. They ran in 2016 on healthcare and on expanding access, making it more affordable. And all the things that you have rightly pointed out are sort of the key aspects of the Affordable Care Act that people like. And now and they continue they're continue to right. So, so they, they just lie about so it. So they say pre-existing conditions is protected. And the cynical version of it is is that there's some language protecting them, but then there's some other language that completely undermines any protections. Right. So it allows states to get rid of essential health benefits. Which but here's means, the thing: Kimmel calls that straight yeah, out. He doesn't provide lie. any of the. But yeah. essential health benefits, right? Which means they can just figure out how not to cover any expensive treatments that people with pre-existing conditions will tend to have, and then allows them to charge anything. The states can do that. So you could say, yeah, well sell you coverage, but it's a million bucks, right? And so, and also allows them to say that you don't have pre-existing conditions if, if we deem that you have access to affordable coverage. And of course, no definition of that either. And so in other words, it in effect a lot, because their plan is to make health insurance cheaper by throwing people at the side of the road. And by the way, if you're a 20, 20 something, uh, you can get pre-existing conditions in your 20s, but you're guaranteed to get them in your lifetime, please. And it's like aging, like having a child, right? All of the, if you're, if you're a woman, all of those things. And so it's really cynical, both the speed of it and the, and the outright lying about it and the, not just about what it does, but the claim that this is going to make healthcare better when it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. And they're revealed naked on that. The public, for the most part, except for the 17% bitter enders, doesn't think the Republicans uh, want to do anything useful on healthcare. Well, with that, we're going to take a break. But before we go, I do want to remind our listeners, you need to contact Senator Ron Johnson at 202-224-5323. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. And we are joined by Robert Craig, and we are talking health care right now because... The bill is back, and Robert has talked, we've talked a lot about sort of why it's a democratically bad, also that this bill is really bad, and we were, before the break, talking specifically about Jimmy Kimmel and his interactions with Cassidy. You know, Robert, it isn't just that Cassidy had said that before. He's been in interviews this week with reporters completely misrepresenting what's actually in his bill and actually in some interviews showing a complete lack of knowledge of what's in the bill. So, uh, yeah, there's a definite, That's definite the game pattern. Plan. Yes, okay, the plan game here, plan is to say. say it will make healthcare more affordable to everyone and get them the healthcare they need, like it's some sort of individual thing, right? 
um, to, set, to pass any bill. Apparently, it doesn't matter what the bill says, right? That's what Senator Grassley says. That's clear when the sponsors don't seem to understand that there was a nice thing that MSNBC had with a reporter catching Lindsey Graham and uh, Senator Cassidy in the hallway, and, and Graham was all angry. That's just not true. That's not true. Of course, everything she was asking about was totally true, okay, including on pre-existing conditions. Uh, and it shows, in essence, I don't know, a ruthlessness, a, a, a kind of authoritarian tendency, quite frankly. This should define the modern conservative party. They tried to present themselves having seriously different approach to the country's problems, that there were conservative solutions to things. This is laid bare that they were conservative lies in order to get what they really want, which is giant transfer of wealth to people who have been benefiting and getting most of the wealth gains in our country for 30 years. But apparently it's just not enough, right, for Wall Street and for the billionaire class. It's just not enough. They need more. So again, uh, please contact Senator Ron Johnson. And if you are listening to this and you don't live in, in Wisconsin and you have a different senator, you can call 888 888- Nine eight one nine seven zero four, and they will hook you up with your uh, U.S. senator to make sure you tell them to vote no on this. Um, we are fortunate here at Citizen Action that we can act. We actually now have organized healthcare workers, health professionals, doctors, and our Healthcare for All organizing cooperative. And so we are actually going to welcome in to the show our. New, uh, our organizer for the Healthcare for All Organizing Cooperative, Katie Dunn. And, and we should say that it's in partnership with our good friends, the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals. Excellent point. But uh, with that, I want to introduce Katie Dunn. So welcome, Katie. Thanks for uh, taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. So Katie, uh, we, you have this new Healthcare for All Organizing Cooperative. Really quickly, just remind our listeners what the cooperative's doing and, and what it's all about and how they can join. Sure, of course, always be joining. Um, so our co-op is really focused on bringing universal access to healthcare for everyone. We're based in Southeast Wisconsin, mainly Milwaukee, but also out to Madison and up to Sheboygan. So um, what we are focused on, we are, you know, probably about half doctors and nurses and medical professionals, and then the other half patients and consumers of the healthcare system. Um, And we are organizing to defend the ACA and to move forward, whether that be Medicare for all or, you know, other smaller steps like our Badger Care public option. So the immediate defending ACA, I believe uh, your cooperative has organized an event that you would like to let the public know about and tell them to get out to on Monday? Absolutely. It's going to be at our favorite location in front of Ron Johnson's office at 1517, no, 517 East Wisconsin Avenue. The old federal building. And so we're going to have some speakers there. You know, we have a retired nurse who just finished her final radiation treatment for breast cancer. And she's got a few things she wants to share with the senator. I would imagine. Uh, And so we're going to have some great speakers. You know, come out with your signs. Just come out and stand behind us as hopefully we'll have some press there and really uh, let folks know, you know, that Ron Johnson has broken promises you know, he said, oh, I'm not going to do anything about pre-existing conditions. I'll leave those be. Well, that's clearly not true. And the list goes on and on. And so, you know, it's just a chance for Wisconsinites to stand up and be heard. So do you think that there's any chance that Senator Johnson uh, will actually change his vote 
Uh, we've already suggested he has very little to do with actually writing this bill. Um, and by the way, uh, on Friday, I'm going to be on a segment of a progressive radio show in Janesville, the Stan Milam Show, right after Senator Johnson. So I'm interested in help on that. But uh, is it our, because some people, sometimes people say, why do you work on someone who's not considered a swing vote? And I kind of want you to, to talk a little bit about that. I, and I think the whole resi successful resistance so far shows that you need to focus on every vote. But Right. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just important. The press is always going to cover both sides. So they are going to cover Johnson and everything that he's doing. And it's strong. It's important that we have a strong presence to say this is what the people of Wisconsin think. So it's not always about, you know, trying to change a vote. It's, you know, making sure that we keep tapping into worldview and changing people's worldview. Um, and I also think it's just always important to keep the pressure up. Now, I will say, you know, we are doing this event for Johnson, but something that I think is even more important is we're doing these phone calls uh, to, quote unquote, fall away voters in uh, Paul Ryan's district. And so people who voted in 2012, but not 2016, uh, who we think will be very much affected by, you know, this graham Cassidy bill, and even more importantly, the budget. The budget that's coming out of the House is even more horrific yep. than this bill. So this is not a final fight. This is one battle, and we really need to keep up the pressure on Johnson and then uh, well, Paul Ryan. Just going back a little, though, and people who know the State Assembly or State Senate uh, kind of know this, that it's messy within these caucuses. So even if Ron Johnson is never going to vote the right way, if he, he apparently was cranky and problematic for McConnell during the previous process, and we think all the public pressure across the state contributed to that. So if he starts demanding things because he's under public pressure, then that makes it harder for them to get to the vote, and it messes things up. So there's, oh, absolutely. So in other words, even if they're never going to vote with you, even getting them to make trouble in the caucus or make additional demands because they're holding this thing together like a Rubik's Cube, and you turn over one little part of a Ron Johnson cube, you could mess the whole thing up. Yeah, I mean, um, life like football is a game of inches, right? Just to quote any given Sunday here on the Citizen Action podcast. You are but definitely from Tennessee. So Rocky Top. <laughs> but the same goes for politics. Yeah. Is every inch counts. You know, yes, they're holding together this. I, I don't even think they're holding together this coalition. I think it's a really opportune way to suck the oxygen out of the Medicare for all um, situation. But yeah, I mean, talk about somebody who's in the crosshairs of trying to hold together a coalition. Paul Ryan, they want to replace him with like Rick Santorum and Newt Gingrich. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk about uh, somebody. I, ju I just, going you know, back it's to important to go. Hitters. Right. So yeah, I just want to make sure, you know, that yes, we're fighting. Johnson on this terrible bill, um, and we are going to continue to fight uh, Paul Ryan in the House on this budget. So one thing you might say to his office, if you can get voicemail, it's our understanding that the voicemail is full, which is a good metaphor for Johnson's Senate career, uh, but is that he's declared he'd never vote for anything without a full CBO score. Well, here's something without a full CBO score. So even by his own words, he should be, and if he pr demanded a full CBO score, this is over, just to give you an example. Yeah, and I think it's important not to normalize politicians lying to us. And yeah. I think that's part of what this thing on Monday at 1.30 in front of the old federal building is about. Like, we cannot make it be normal that Ron Johnson is going to keep pushing this bill and outright lying to people. So I just got to say, one thing I really like about 
the co-op and what you just talked about was these phone calls that you and co-op members, and I want to encourage our listeners, if you're interested, to reach out to Katie. We can help hook you up so you can make these calls too. Um, a lot of people will often say, I am tired of calling Ron Johnson's office. I'm just going to get that full voicemail box. And he's heard from mm -hmm. me a hundred times. Well, this program allows you to actually do something where you can be talking to voters who are going to matter next election mm -hmm. cycle, who this directly impacts, and who probably may have or may not know what's going on. And you know what? When they call Ron Johnson's office and his voicemail box is full, that's an important experience, an organizing experience for them to go to. And uh, even better, maybe that box will empty and someone will answer the phone, right? So please, folks, get involved. Join this co-op help make these calls even if you don't aren't a member of the co-op uh reach out reach out to katie but talk more about and, what they and i just want to say this this is the co-ops not is about blocking really bad things like like uh graham cassidy some people say johnson but uh the uh, but also using this and using our to build towards real health care reform uh, health care is a fundamental right so this has a broader vision it's not just stopping one bad thing right and it's not even just stopping the big budget what we're trying to do is you know we plan to get back in power very very soon but until we do that we've got to stop the bleeding and so you know is it super fun calling strangers no is it super easy i mean it's simple but it's not easy but is it exactly what we need to be doing if we want to win? Yes. So, again, let our listeners know if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? My phone number is... Yeah, I like that. I like that. 262-227-4212. That's 262-227-4212. You can text me. So far, I haven't had any trolls pick up on that number, so knock on wood. We'll see. Well... Folks, please get involved. Uh, this fight is critical, and the only way we can take back our democracy is to get involved. So join the organizing cooperative, the Healthcare for All cooperative, or contact Katie. Please help make the calls. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. With that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we earlier were talking with Katie Dunn from our Healthcare for All Cooperative about all the healthcare activity. And we are joined now by another one of our healthcare uh, cooperative organizers, and that is Jeff Smith. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate being here. It's great to have you. Jeff is actually uh, here in Milwaukee with us because we're having a retreat this uh, week, and so it's great to have Jeff here and actually be able to talk with him a lot more closely about the organizing cooperative in western Wisconsin, which is where Jeff is from, and specifically centered in the Eau Claire area, but it covers a much broader area. Jeff, tell our listeners just a little bit about the co-op and sort of generally, uh, you know, wh what you do and where you, where a lot of the membership are and why people ought to get involved. Yeah, you bet. I, I love talking about the co-op. I think the idea of the co-op is uh, an idea that has long time uh, been coming. It needs to be something that that is truly... Um, um, illustrated as grassroots organizing. That's what we're about. And so our members 
have done a great, great uh, job of rallying around the issues such as health care, as you've talked about today, and, and a living wage ordinance that we were able to pass in Eau Claire County, and we're working on St. Croix County and the city of, I mean, those living wage ordinances are really important. But particularly what has uh, moved our members has been about protecting water. And we have become a leader in the rally against CAFOs in Wisconsin. So it's been a big, big, uh, I think organizing around with members like that and on regional issues it really raises the, um, to the top of, of a of value of, our, of what Wisconsin stands for. Je uh, and for our listeners who don't know, Jeff is a former state representative and so has, uh, in the same region, and so has a clear understanding sort of historically of kind of where the gaps are and what, what we need. Um, you, you mentioned CAFOs. That is something we've had you on before talking about, but it may not be something all of our listeners know fully. Just remind our listeners what that is and why it's so important to water quality and the organizing that you're all doing. I appreciate that yeah. because there's a lot of misunderstandings of what we really um, fight that for. But In fact, I think I mispronounced. I, I gave. I called it the wrong name the first time I had you on <laughs> to talk about the podcast, but sorry. Yeah, CAFOs. Concentrated animal yeah. feeding operations, and it really could be... It, in our case, it's about dairy uh, farms, but it could be hog, um, chickens, turkeys. You see the you see these big turkey barns that you don't see much going on except what's inside. Those would also be CAFOs. Um, it, it's a it's a formula based on the weight of an animal, and and uh, anyway, it's complicated. But in our in what we're seeing happening in in Wisconsin and in our region is. Uh, dairy farms that may be 500, 600 cows want to expand to thousands. And once you hit that thousand level, that's when we become CAFO. But we have particularly been interested in those that wanted to go to five, six, seven, or 8,000 animals yes. in one place. And, and the real issue comes down to the waste and how you manage the waste. There are plans, the DNR is in charge of that, but as we know these days, we're open for business and they do ever make more effort to, to make this happen than they do in, in uh, controlling it. And we're talking about waste levels that are like for a small city, right? We're in, in the agriculture area with no municipal sewage system of any kind. Exactly, right? and, that, and that's, thank you for that, Robert. That's, that's the, that is the great example that when I, when I mention that to people, it opens their eyes. For instance, the one in Rock Creek um, in Dunn County that, that brought us brought this to our attention in the first place last year would, would uh, have maybe five to 6,000 cows, and that number of cows would be the same as a city of 130,000 people when it comes to the waste. Oh. But they would not be... But, you know, if we had a city of that size plopped down in, yeah. in a place like that, you would have, uh, obviously, you would have uh, waste management in, you know, in, in, a, in a plant. But we don't, we don't uh, force our uh, farming industry to do that. And I think it's something that we gotta look at. There has to be more responsibility. Because in because the, the bottom line is, is it affects the water. And in Kewanee County, which is the eastern part of Wisconsin, they are our poster child for what can go wrong. And there's maybe a dozen or so of these CAFOs there, and 30%, over, I'm sorry, it was 37% of private wells in Kiwani County are now undrinkable or unusable. Yeah, and what's, what's really important about this issue is it's connected, it's interconnected to all these other issues we're fighting about in terms of when you have your democracy hijacked by special, wealthy special interests 
where basically that's really what the bottom line is. And local communities don't really have the control that is necessary to actually control their future. But they could. If they if, organize. If they organize, <laughs> but also if the, if the state legislature would, would allow them to do the things that they should do based on their needs and yep. the needs of the citizens of each community. Uh, we have a legislature that has not only um, opened up the doors for this sort of thing, but anytime a county or a municipality of any sort tries to pass their own regulations, they smash that down and repeal and, and just allow them from doing such things. And we're seeing that in lawsuits right now up in Bayfield County who, who did do that for a hog operation that was moving up there and would have threatened the fresh water of Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. So people don't even really realize uh, that the legislature is already, and the DNR and its interpretation of rules, have already rigged the system so that basically as long as a CAFO crosses their I's and dots, their T's, no matter what the public opposition, you could slow them down, but you can't stop them. So you guys pulled out all the stops, you had multiple resolutions at the St. Croix County level, you jammed up the whole DNR process, had multiple mobilizations, but what that did is slow it down which may give pause to some others in the region because they, they, it, make, it makes the cost of getting one higher if you have to go through that public fight. But most people are totally shocked to learn that state law is set up so basically you can't stop a CAFO. That's exactly right. I was told um, halfway through the process, really, that the DNR has never historically ever denied a CAFO permit. Um, and, and it's come true because the one that we were most we focused on, um, they did not deny, but they did lower the number that they were able to do, and I feel like we should take credit for that. And they had a second hearing, which was historically the first time in, in history that they did that because we forced them to do that. We found um, landowners that they had listed on the, on the management plan where they were going to spread manure who weren't aware they were on the list. And we brought them to the hearing, and they really raised a ruckus, and thus forced them to have to rewrite that plan. Well, Jeff, this all smells like well, I can't. No, we have we have a sh we're on the we radio now. We're on the, the radio smell. now. I've already gotten in. Crute's already been mad at me once be, for swearing. I think so. it's unconstitutional because <laughs> the Wisconsin State Constitution, as the public trust doctrine, DNR should be protecting the environment, the water, uh, it, it, above and beyond any kind of commercial interest, and. It simply, the system is rigged, so they simply refuse to interpret it that way. So the legislature shouldn't be, even be able to regulate CAFOs yeah. the way they have. I think it's clear the public trust doctrine is being threatened. Um, it's, it's not just CAFOs, it's in all sorts of ways that, you know, they've taken away shoreline regulation um, from local municipalities. Um, we're seeing nothing but green lakes because they're totally, uh, they've taken away phosphorus protections that we had put in yep. when I was in the legislature. There's all sorts of things that have happened that have really threatened our fresh water, which is what Wisconsin is, has, is most, has the most of in the world, yeah. in right. treasures. And this is hyper-local in that the emotional trigger is what happens when your water is going to get poisoned, right? When your land is going to get poisoned. But there's also a broader context. If you add up all the impacts of the policy, if you look 20 years forward and say, okay, we're going to be a state full of CAFOs, right? Because that's what the policy would indicate, right? Then that has a huge global warming impact. 
And so what we have to do to reduce uh, global warming gases is also a threat, and that's not even in the, conver in the conversation. We actually should be considering that as well because there's an additive impact of all these decisions. It's, uh, it always adds up. It always <laughs> adds and I want to And I want to put a shout out for what's happening next in the legislature. And yep. we're talking about the sulfide mining bill yep. that, is, that is on the docket that they're racing through the legislature with. Um, which will allow mining companies to come in here and not have to prove that they're going to poison the water, that yep. or they're not going to poison the water. Correct. And th what has stopped them for the last 20 years is the fact that they've had to prove that they wouldn't poison the water, and they have not been able to do that. They can't do it because there's been no such mine that it never hasn't. That's exactly right. 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 <laughs> the double negative. So they guess what? The proof is they do. Yep. And so what do you do? You change the laws. So they don't have to prove what they can't prove, and then it will be declared, just like the health care bill, the Republican bill has been declared great for people. It will be declared great for people, right? Jobs. <laughs> Governor Walker on Foxconn saying Foxconn will be great. The people will see. That's so, very democratic. <laughs> so, Jeff, we actually are going to have to wrap this up. We wanted to also talk a little politics about the 2018 election, but what you don't know is that's actually good news because we would like to have you on at least monthly and where we're checking in with what's happening in western Wisconsin and then also talking politics and talking about not only spring elections that'll be coming up, uh, local issues, but also the fall elections. We could have a Senate race, we could uh, a competitive Democratic Senate race if Kathleen Vine outruns for governor. There are a whole bunch of assembly races. Will you come back? I absolutely <laughs> will come back, and it sounds like the governor's race is going to center around western Wisconsin. Yes, and so we look forward to having Jeff's Jeff back on uh, regularly, but uh, thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, podcast. Thank you. I'll awesome. All right. Thanks, Jeff. So with that, we got to get out of here and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we were hoping to have uh, the new Assembly Minority Leader, uh, Gordon Hintz, on today, but uh, he's a busy man. We uh, were unable to uh, get it together while we were recording today, but uh, we'll look forward to talking with uh, Gordon down the road. However, we are very excited to have our organizer from the central Wisconsin area, Joel Lewis. He is our central Wisconsin cooperative organizer. Joel, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. So, Joel, this is the first time you've been on. Our, a number of our listeners are certainly familiar with our organizing cooperative model, but may not be familiar with you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came to uh, Citizen Action. Sure. So I've done, you know, uh, I was a social work major, and then I ended up getting involved in uh, community organizing, and um, I just really love the work. One of the problems, though, is that we can't get funding in northern Wisconsin. And so thanks to the Citizen Action co-op model, uh, North Central Organizing Co-op is going to be able to be a long-term sustainable force and we'll be able to continue organizing not only around issues but also future elections. So you mentioned Wausau. Mm -hmm. uh, are you, so tell us a little bit about where the co-op kind of covers to give people an idea of kind of the range. Sure. So Marathon County is definitely kind of where we're located centrally, but then there's all these uh, counties around us like Wood County, Portage County, Lincoln, Langlade, um, uh, you know, these counties, Rusk County would be our furthest west. Uh, and so it's about nine counties total, and 
we're just trying to you know really organize rural parts of the state that haven't been organized before, uh, and it's amazing the pockets of people that we're finding and, and how willing they are to be active once they have a clear direction. So why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the things uh, that folks in the central part of the state in the organizing cooperative are concerned with and are working on? Sure. So the top three issues after surveying our, our member owners uh, have been healthcare, voting rights, and environmental issues. So three pretty broad. Uh, issues which allow us the freedom to kind of to move into different areas uh, and so we've been involved in the uh, redistricting fight with the fair maps coalition uh, and and that one has been more member driven than organizer driven which is great to see um, and then we've also resisted the healthcare, you know the american Healthcare act and now uh, we're we're poised to continue resisting anything they try to bring at us uh, and then most recently our our members helped to create a green jobs green future campaign you mentioned uh, the healthcare pushback. You guys have an important uh, congressman, uh, Sean yeah. Duffy, up yeah. there. Uh, certainly, some He's an important guy, Matt. <laughs> he's an important congressman <laughs> in our mind because he's someone obviously would be great to replace. He has not at all been open on healthcare, yeah. uh, in spite of the fact that your neck of the woods actually is. Could, has the most to lose if something like a Trump care were passed. Especially so, the more rural the area. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and, and it's interesting, your members seem to get that and are plugged in. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've actually been a part of lobbying Sean Duffy and organizing citizens to Sean Duffy's office for the last eight years, sometimes paid, sometimes not. And the only way to get a response out of him is to rally. That's unfortunate because there are other politicians that we might disagree with but they'll be willing to at least sit down with us. He will not do that. By response, a no, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so we literally have no other choice to get a response out of him but to rally in front of his office. And I think folks should know that because we have tried to do it other ways. What do you think his philosophy of healthcare is? Does he just have a kind of different approach to guaranteeing that everyone, no matter what, whether they have a good job with health insurance or not, can, can get good coverage? I just think he clings to the ideology that if you give anybody anything that they themselves haven't completely paid for, then you're giving them a handout, and you're actually, by doing that, you're, you're creating a sense where everyone's going to just need handouts and not actually work for it. Yeah. And so that's his mentality, and he applies that to just about every policy decision he makes. And he thinks there are the, the, the high-paying jobs you would need in... in you know, central Wisconsin in order to like pay for the cost of how hideous price that healthcare is that you could just, I don't know, pay out of pocket and put stuff aside in a, he's not in a, willing in a, to admit a, that we a have a jobs savings problem. account. He's not willing to admit we have a jobs problem. It's all the skills. He gap. has a job, right? Right. It's all the skills gap though. And it's all uh, the, the citizen's fault. You the know, he takes gap. that. Yep. So the skills gap says the employers would come if the workers were better skilled and we don't need to fund all education the or anything. Yep. The workers just need to get themselves some more skills and then things will be fine. Yep. So obviously, Sean Duffy, he's a tough, tough person to move, and certainly your cooperative will be involved in trying to remove him, I'm sure. During election <laughs> during election time. But uh, you know, one of the great things about the cooperatives being locally based is you're not stuck just working on Sean Duffy or some deadweight state senator that you could work locally. And you guys have been heavily involved in starting to figure out how can we address this jobs crisis? Sean Duffy may not think there's one, yep. but how talk a little bit more about some of the things you're thinking about locally that certainly apply globally for us. Sure. So 
I think that's the Green Jobs, Green Future campaign. You know, our members and our steer, some of our steering committee members took part in the WILD training, Wisconsin Leadership Development Training. And over that three days, they helped develop this campaign uh, where we would basically be promoting more installation of solar panels and other renewable energies to business, to either existing businesses or startup businesses. And these are monies that are already available through the Department of Energy. Uh, and so it's truly, you know, we don't have to get buy-in from Republicans or Democrats. It's already there. So now we really, the niche that we're trying to fill is a lot of folks in the community don't know that this exists, that these monies exist, which, and it's through a program called PACE, Property Assessed Clean Energy. And so that is just one part of this Green Jobs, Green Future campaign where we're going to try to work with businesses and community leaders and county boards that haven't already become partners uh, to become partners and promote this so that other businesses know that it's available and we can create good family sustaining jobs in the Northwoods that are also uh, environmentally conscious. You know, well, first of all, shout out to your local folks for trying to figure out what you could do through this PACE program. What I like about this is it actually starts to lay out kind of the vision of what kind of economy we would actually like. And so, for example, PACE is a nice thing, and if we can get it going, great, but like it does start to get people to think, well, maybe instead of $3 billion for Foxconn, yes, right, we could yes. have $3 billion to invest in renewable energy and take a PACE program, put it on steroids, and actually create jobs in Wausau, in other parts of the state, and not just uh, and further one north. spot. And I yeah. think what you just hit is a huge reason the northern part of our state feels disconnected from the southern part. Everything seems to be for Madison or South. Everything, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's job creation or organizing, everything has always seemed that way to us. And so I think that this campaign proves to people north of Wassa even, that we care about their economy, we care about keeping young people there, and we care about making it a, a good, happy place to live. And that's what this campaign is hoping to do, at least be a part of. So people in northern Wisconsin uh, feel like n there's no investment there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they often blame uh, not you, but I mean some of the folks that may have turned from Obama to Trump voters yep. blame liberals in Madison and yep. people of color in Milwaukee, right? Think the money gets spent there. Um, you'll, but what's interesting is, is you look at Governor Walker. What yeah. has he done to invest for northern Wisconsin? You look at WEDEC. It puts almost nothing into those areas. It puts a lot more in Waukesha County, a growing suburban base for Republicans, than it, it does in all of northern Wisconsin, right? Right. So... What do we need to do to make a different case? I assume part of it is to point out that conservative Republicans have nothing for this region. But second, uh, a modern version of kind of New Deal Democrats, right? One's investing in a, in a green economy and, and renewable energy, energy efficiency, uh, would, could make the investments that could rebuild the whole area and revitalize the economy. And to do that, they should be in alliance right. with progressive thinking people throughout the state and in southern Wisconsin. Right. Well, and I think a part of this, this Green Jobs, Green Future campaign is the realization that we can't rely on someone like Governor Walker or Representative Sean Duffy or U.S. Senator Ron Johnson to actually create jobs in the areas where we need them. So in my mind, if there's a way for the people to take that in, you know, into their own hands, then let's do it. And that's what this Green Jobs, Green Future campaign could potentially become. Um, and you know, so I think, I think, you know, to get to your point, people are frustrated because the people that claim they're going to help them and claim to represent them consistently have not been doing so. You know, the right likes to talk about takers and makers, yep. right? Well, I would say the takers are right-wing politicians yeah, yeah. who take the votes of folks up in northern and Wisconsin tax for their and do nothing yeah. for them. In fact, yep. they're going to take their tax dollars and send them to Foxconn. 
Yep. Right? So the boondoggle definitely does nothing for northern Wisconsin, right? It's highly questionable does anything for Kenosha yep. or Racine. But for northern Wisconsin, you're paying, you're getting nothing. That is a bigger transfer out of northern Wisconsin than anything any supposed liberal ever proposed, let alone implemented. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. But you need to let our listeners know, especially if you live in yeah, central can Wisconsin, you, can what still they should do. still join the co-op? Yeah. Is enrollment still open, Joe? Exactly. Yep. So we actually have about 30 days left of our uh, drive to try to hit our goal of 150 new members to make this PACE, this Green Jobs, Green Future campaign, a reality. And also to ensure that the North Central Organizing Co-op is a long-term sustainable force for whatever issues come down the road so that we have people effectively representing the northern part of our state. And so uh, if folks would be interested in joining the co-op, you can go to, to the citizenactionwi.org webpage and look for uh, North Central uh, mobile sign-up, uh, you know, where it goes, join now, us. Now, Joel, Katie gave, earlier in the show, gave her phone number. Are you willing okay, to do well, that? Okay, for sure. You can also call me, <laughs> you can also call me at 715-551-2525. Uh, be reasonable. I am a family man, so not at midnight. But yeah, definitely, please give me a call and reach out and ask questions. Yeah, definitely. Give him a call because if you're interested, look, it is fundamentally critical, as we've talked about. If we're going to rebuild progressive power in this state, we need to build infrastructure, yes. progressive democratic infrastructure in all parts of the state. Central Wisconsin used to have real infrastructure. Dave Obie, his whole operation, strong labor movement, strong environmental movement. They have gutted labor. Dave is gone. Yeah. Right. A lot of that infrastructure is gone, and you are recreating it there, and we need to get folks in there. So yep. And I want to say, not me, the co-op is making yep. that happen, and the co-op members. And as long as we continue to grow and continue to invest in this, we will be a force to be reckoned with. Well, so, yeah, let's sign up Northern Wisconsin. Call Joel, a, a challenge. Let's yes. see how yes. many people can call Joel. Definitely. So with that, folks, we got to wrap up this podcast, uh, this uh, show. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We want to, of course, though, before we go, thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happen every week, our organizer, Katie Dunn, and Jeff Smith, who also appeared. And, Joel, thank you again. Yep. We'll thank you, you to Matt and Robert Craig. Thank oh, you. Thank you. You're, you're great. Uh, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Oh,